1: Welcome to the College Football Playoff Show Q&A, where Doug LaMaurice and Shahan J. Harajah answer questions about the playoff and its contenders from subscribers. Welcome back to you guys. Shahan, let's get Oregon in. I don't want to waste like another 20 <laughs> seconds of show. <laughs> on a, oh, should we put in the team that beat Ohio State on the road without its best player? I take the blame for this one. I encouraged us to kick, to kick Oregon out last week on this podcast. We rank the contenders. We welcome new contenders by voting them in. And we kick out a contender every week. And after the way, the Oregon Ducks struggled with Fresno State last week and did it while Kevon Thibodeau was hurt. It was like, man, if he's not going to play, how can they hang with Ohio State? He did not play, and they beat Ohio State Shahan, as we think about bringing teams back in, like how much time did you think about should Oregon be back in the mix?
0: Uh, zero seconds. It was obvious, right? I mean i I thought that they had a chance to compete heading into the year. I definitely was concerned by Week One. I definitely wasn't encouraged by Anthony Brown in Week One, and. I guess they were saving some stuff. I guess that uh, they had another level that they hadn't hit as yet. I, I think I was very impressed, obviously, with their offensive line, what they were able to do, clearing holes that I didn't expect them to clear, and and their defensive backs, man, against those receivers, they they did a great job. I I did not see this coming. I, I told you last week. I am not picking any team to go into Columbus and win a game. It doesn't matter how. Good, it doesn't matter if it's Bama, right? Like. For Oregon to go and do that, I mean that's so impressive.
1: Little secret is that Ohio State's home field advantage at Ohio Stadium is not as big as people think it is. They've traditionally played these national home and home series. When they played Oklahoma in sixteen and seventeen, they wanted Oklahoma. Oklahoma yep. won an Ohio Stadium. Yep. When they played USC in eight and nine, USC came in in won nine and one. Two thousand fourteen, Virginia Tech comes in and wins. Like they they lose, you know it's not. It's a great historic traditional stadium, but it's so big, you know, it doesn't get as loud as places like Wisconsin or Iowa or a lot of other places. I think Penn State shakes more, right? I mean, I just think so. But yeah, this was this was about Oregon. Justin Flo also didn't play. He's going to be out for a while longer with a broken foot. That's two five stars. That's two five star defensive recruits. But Noah Sewell, another five star defensive recruit, best linebacker in the game by far in that game. Johnny Johnson, their best receiver, no catches, but they found a way to win and and to, you know, the running backs got it done. The offensive line got it done. And to Anthony Brown's credit, we had him at the bottom of the list of quarterbacks on contenders. He got it done. He's not, you know, Bryce Young or Sam Howell or Spencer Rattler, but in a way that, for instance, Brock Purdy did not get it done for Iowa State in a game that really mattered, Anthony Brown made the necessary throws, did a little bit with his feet here and there, kept drives alive on third down, hitting check downs and finding the right receiver. And I didn't think he was particularly dangerous coming into the game, but he executed a very well-called Joe Moorehead offense. So we are all in agreement here. Of course, Oregon is in. We always ask our texters, what do you think? Do you want to kick teams out? Do you want to let them back in? I asked the texters this week about four teams. Should they join the mix as contenders? Here was the vote. Should Oregon, after beating Ohio State 35-28, be added back to the discussion of playoff contenders? Yes, of course. What a ridiculous question. Or no, for some reason. 97%. Maybe a cranky two, three percent didn't want Ohio State. I didn't want Oregon back in, but everybody else did. I-
0: I don't think that that's how pollsters are supposed to ask questions, what? but uh, but here we go. That's I think that uh, we arrived at the right conclusion.
1: <laughs> You're not supposed to use the word ridiculous um, in part of the uh, part of the question itself. What a ridiculous question! Well, you know, again, thankfully, no one treats us seriously as pollsters. So Oregon is back, and they are in, and that gets us to eleven on this podcast. We're never going to discuss more than 12 contenders in our group. We are at 11 right now. We're going to kick somebody out at the end. So we can expand. Right now we have Bama, Georgia, Clemson, Oklahoma, Ohio State, Notre Dame, Iowa, Iowa State, Texas A&M, Cincinnati, and now Oregon gets us to 11. But Shaham, we got some room. I asked the texters about three other teams. I asked them about Ole Miss, which in, maybe only intrigues me. But there's, I'm going to talk about Ole Miss later on this podcast in the context of playoff contention. I asked him about Penn State. Penn State two and zero after a win over Ball State. They get Auburn this week in one of the two top twenty five matchups. And again, maybe if you want to first guess, Penn State, or maybe wait and say, hey, let's see if they beat Auburn seven thirty at home on Saturday night, and that me, that's what gets them in. And then Florida, who's playing Bama this week? Maybe we just want to puff up Bama's resume. Say, hey, you beat one of the Shahan and Doug contenders. Shahan, does one of those three teams deserve getting into this conversation right now? Or is there somebody else you had?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think that the one that I'd consider most is Penn State, uh, just because I feel like they've per se done something. You know, I think that the other teams were waiting. We've liked what they've done through the first two weeks, but like, you know, Ole Miss's win over Louisville was very impressive, but it was very impressive in like a, this is one of the top 25 teams in the country sort of thing. Not a like, oh, this could be one of the top four teams in the country. I, I don't think I'm ready to go there with them. In uh, Florida, I mean, I think that they're right on the edge. I think they're probably, uh, you know, other maybe Penn State, maybe that first team out right now. And they have the opportunity to play their way in. They don't have to beat Bama to me, right? They just have to mm-hmm. look like a team that can compete with Bama. If this is a seven-point game... I'm comfortable next week, uh, you know, know, potentially voting them in. I'm in no rush to do so just because they, you know, beat up FAU in South Florida. I don't want to give them credit for that as yet.
1: I I think that makes sense. I mean, the thing about Florida, right? If they hang with Bama in any real way, then it's like, okay, let's wait for that Florida-Georgia game. Could they knock off Georgia? And then maybe now you're thinking about could Florida win an SEC division Again, Florida is, is a team that I do want to discuss this week in the context of Alabama. Maybe we should discuss it now, but maybe should, we put, should we decide if we're going to put this other team? Do you want to put Penn State in? when Penn State get your vote for going in right now? If Penn State needs two or three votes between you, me, and the tech subscribers, are you giving them one?
0: Yeah, I think so. I think so. I'm comfortable trying to push towards that 12 number. I still think that that gives us, uh, you know, if we remove one at the end of the show, that gives us some wiggle room next week to work with. So, yeah, I think I'd vote Penn State in. Interesting. You know what? I'm going to go with them, too, then, because I do like the idea. uh,
1: On one hand, and we said this on the Tuesday pod, it feels like, man, it's kind of hard to think about 12. But Penn State is a blue blood program. It's got an established head coach. It has some real playmakers on offense, I think, which, which matters to me in trying to discuss a team like this. And it's, we're going to discuss that. We have a, a guest coming on later, um, Tyler Kluver from the Washed Up Walk-Ons podcast. He's a former Iowa long snapper, four-year starter at Iowa as a walk-on long snapper. He will join us to talk about the Hawkeyes. But for instance, one of the things with Iowa is when we're really talking about playoff contention, they were so impressive in so many ways against Iowa State. They also got out, gained like three to one, but they that was fine because they won the turnover battle four to zero. But I have a little bit of a question about their playmakers against equal talent teams, right? I mean, their defense can be very smothering. I don't have those questions with Penn State, right? Sure. Jahan Dotson is elite. I liked Parker Washington a lot coming into this season. The second year receiver out of Texas. I'm sure you have some knowledge about him in, in Texas, Shahan. They both have 10 catches through two games. I think Noah Kane is a legit dude at running back. And Sean Clifford, again, falls. I think if Sean Clifford had been in our discussion in the preseason, if we were ranking Penn State about quarterbacks, we would have put Sean Clifford in the Jack Cohn at Notre Dame, Anthony Brown at Oregon kind of discussion. But again, Sean Clifford so far, when you have a weapon like Jahan Dotson, is doing what needs to be done. Enough of a threat on the ground, made some big runs this season so far against Wisconsin and Ball State. You know, given, given Dotson and Washington a, a chance to make plays, new offensive coordinator and Mike Yurcich, I think there's a lot of interesting pieces around Penn State. And when I look at Penn State, and we, everybody knows the issues that Ohio State is having with its defense right now, I think Ohio State would would pay cash money for Penn State's back seven. They have playmakers <laughs> at linebacker. They have playmakers at corner. They have playmakers at safety. They have experience. They have highly recruited guys. And I think they're showing up, Shahan. So I think there there are a lot of pieces here. Like a lot of teams, you know, if you're trying to compete with the DJ Uyunglele's and Bryce Young and Spencer Rattler's of the world, it's like, well, how good your quarterback? Sean Clifford doesn't have to be great. He just can't kill him. And I think through two weeks, he's
0: been pretty darn solid. Yeah, and the other thing is, I, I think somebody asked a question about this yesterday, but it is part of the thought process. Is that Ohio State looks a little vulnerable, right? And I think that that makes it easier to say, here's a team in their own division. Maybe this is a team that there's a pathway to beating them. Because I don't think I would have said that heading into the year, and I think that's true of Iowa too. I think that's part of the reason that Ohio State was our only Big Ten team to start is because we thought that they might be a cut above the rest, and. Through the first few weeks, not only do I think that those other two teams are at least in a similar caliber to them, I actually really think that both of those defenses could cause a lot of issues for CJ Stroud, uh, you know, depending on when when they get him, right? I mean, at some point, he's going to clean this stuff up. I mean, he's just a young quarterback, it's not a big deal. But there are also a lot of opportunities that I think that Oregon and and really Minnesota especially could have taken advantage of that yeah. they weren't able to, and we, we can't say that, you know, this Iowa turnover stuff is a fluke, right? Like, this is something that happens week after week, year after year. I mean, through the first two weeks, they've had two different defensive backs who have each had two interceptions. Like, that doesn't happen. So that's the sort of thing that makes this conversation a little interesting to me. I'm not saying that I'd have either of them necessarily ranked ahead of Ohio State of my most likely teams to make the playoff. But I think that does open the conversation a little.
1: No, I I agree. Ohio State has cracked the door because it's all about context in this playoff race. And that's what we care about. We want to think about committee members. And listen, committee members, when they're in the room, they aren't like penalizing you because you have a good team in your conference, right? But we're trying to be realistic here. We don't want to waste our time discussing a team that doesn't really have much of a chance. Right? That's like what it doesn't mean they're not a good team, but we're talking about Can you be one of the four? And I'll put Penn State there. So they are going to be in. The texters did not go there, but Penn State was the next closest. 97% put Oregon in. Penn State was 64% no, 36% yes.
0: Interesting.
1: Florida, 90% no, 10% yes. Ole Miss, 97% no, 3% yes. But I do think, Shahan, we we thought going into the season, we might put the Penn State Wisconsin winner after week one into the discussion. And that was enough of a defensive struggle slash some offensive struggles as well, that even though Penn State went on the road and beat the team that everybody seemed to pick to win the Big Ten West, we did not elevate them. But I think it's one of those things. Are you super impressed because they beat Ball State? No, but they doubled it doubled up. Right, It was like, well, they had the, the win against a solid opponent. Now what? It's like, well, now they took care of business against a weaker opponent and did some things offensively in the first half that made you say, okay, well, I think there's there's some danger here. So Penn St- I think Penn State looks like that team, and then we'll get tested right away because Auburn, I mean, if Auburn beats Penn State, then Auburn gets right on the edge of this discussion. But at some point, Jahan, you can't have nine SEC teams in your in your playoff contender group because they're going to knock each other out. Penn State's got a path, and I think that matters.
0: So We are, for the moment, up to 12 teams. We are at 12
1: teams. It's the first time. First time in show history that we have gotten to 12 teams. We will see how long that lasts. I think maybe another, I don't know, like 45 minutes. We'll, we'll see. <laughs> We've got a couple teams on the hook, Shahan. We do this at the end. When you have Iowa State coming off a loss, Ohio State coming off a loss, Notre Dame coming off another really tight win. And by the way, the team that Notre Dame beat the week before lost to Jacksonville State. It makes that close win over Florida State look even a little crazier. We've got a couple teams kind of on the hook. And Texas A&M is in a really weird spot. There's some really sort of interesting teams in the middle of the pack this week, I think, Shahan, that we want to talk about. So I do have a feeling we might be getting back to eleven by the end of this podcast for now though, we will take a quick break on the college football playoff show. If you want to be a tech subscriber and get to vote on should teams be welcomed in or kicked out, we'd love to have you eight one seven four four two six, seven eight, nine. We will be back on the other side. We will rank all of our contenders and we will welcome in our special guest to talk about how the Iowa Hawkeyes got this win over Iowa state. And what we think they can do and need to do going forward to continue to look like a playoff contender. We'll do it next on the College Football Playoff Show. Back on the College Football Playoff Show, Doug Shahan and special guest Tyler Kluver. Something about Tyler that makes him different than us is he played college football, which makes you by far the greatest expert on the show. Tyler, he's from the Washed Up Walk-On's podcast about Iowa sports, four-year-long snapper for the Hawkeyes, Tyler, you're on because the Hawkeyes are for real. And, and when you watch this, it's hard not to jump. We'll get to all parts of it, but it's hard not to jump right away to that defense. It They did not let anything go. It felt like against Iowa State. Nothing is easy. They blanket you. What did you see? You've played at this program. You played for Kirk Ferentz, but when you watch that defensive performance, Did you just feel like, man, that's Iowa defense to me?
2: Yeah, I got, you know, a couple of the guys that I lived with when I did play uh, are playing in the NFL right now. Josie Jewell, middle linebacker for the the Broncos, Um, AJ Epinesa, DN for the for the Bills. You've got guys that just really, really love playing football, man, and they love playing together. And I think when you watch that defense, it's what you see is one guy makes a play. The other guys, they're they're almost jealous. They they feel that juice that starts to come up. They're like, I want to make the next play. Matt Hankins, two interceptions. Riley Moss, two interceptions the week before that. The defense is insane and they play together and for each other. And they play Phil Parker defense. He's yep. he's what we consider in, in Iowa the the best defensive coordinator in the nation. And um, you just play sound and you make the other team beat you. And turns out that works.
0: I mean, I, I feel like I've always wanted to ask an Iowa player this question, and it's when you have a game like that where the offense has like 160 yards and you still kick their butts. Like that—that's not replicable anywhere else in college football. What is that like in the locker room and as a player?
2: It's absurd. It's—it's it's one of those things, and and you're right. I think uh, I think the offense had 100 and. 170 yards of offense, but then if you take away Petrus' sack yardage, it's like 150. It's it's actually it's it's crazy. You 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 tell me that those stats are going to happen before a game, and I will tell you that we're losing the football game. But yep. um, it's the trust, man. It's it's the it's the culture that's built in that program, and it's the it's what Kirk, Co- Coach Kirk Ferentz would talk about all the time. It's a three phase game. Um, I think the I think the phase that we're not even sort of discussing here is how important the special teams is for Iowa as well. Um, and it's obviously close to my heart because I was a part of that. Um, but Tory Taylor is arguably one of the best top five punters in the country. And then Caleb Shudak, who sat behind all American Keith Duncan for a couple of years, he's arguably just as good as him um, kickoffs and field goals. So um, it's a three phase game when one phase is down, which the offense has had struggles in the first couple weeks, the other two phases, they they take that as a challenge to pick the other the, the other guys up and and that's what you see as a the product these first two weeks.
1: I think I got about 2 minutes on the clock before the former long snapper got to the special teams discussion. So Tyler, we admire you for holding off as long as you did. But listen, I I, Iowa controlled field position the whole yeah. game. I mean, Taylor is pinning Iowa State back and listen, there is not a a ton of necessary, you know, this is not uh Alabama Devontae Smith Mac Jones level offensive explosion on either side of the ball. But, you know, Brock Purdy and and Brees Hall and Charlie Kohler, they're good players, but you make them go 90 yards and they have a decent, you know, they might make a mistake because they're not going to drop a 60-yard bomb on you. I thought I Xavier Hutchinson I thought would be the maybe the difference maker in this game. Iowa's defense did a great job on him, led by Mike Hankins. But that's a game plan, Tyler, right? When you do that with the defense and the special teams, we know you're competent offensively, but we're going to make you march we dare you to do that four or five times a game and Iowa state couldn't do it.
2: Yeah. I think, I think what is so well built about this Iowa defense specifically is the real strength of it is your, your, your DBs, um, the safeties and the, and the, and the corners. And what that allows Iowa to do, because Iowa big 10 football is just beat you down, bully you, outlast you into the fourth quarter they're built for that right the kind of wisconsin uh iowa football style and when you have your strength in the dbs you just allow them to keep everything in front you know a high-powered offense like iowa states or even indiana's were maybe thought of uh going into the season the high-powered offenses are dangerous because they can take the top off and iowa's defense it's impossible to take that top off the defense. They just won't let you. And so then you you funnel it back to the linebackers who are really good, the D-line who was a question mark coming into the season but has really come along in the first two games and I think play with confidence because of the rest of the back seven. It's just a lockdown defense that I don't think anybody in the country would feel confident going up against.
0: Well, of course, we are the college football playoff show. And so, you know, I went two top 25 wins to start the year, including a top 10 win what is the ceiling for this team? Do you view this as a team that really at the top end could compete for the college football playoff?
2: Not right now. And it's because of the offensive uh, struggles. The defense isn't going to score points every week. And it's one of the concerns in the Iowa, uh, the Iowa base right now is, you know, the defense is going to be good to great all year, but they're not going to be insane all year. And, we're gonna play opponents at some point. Maybe it's the Big Ten Championship, assuming that we can get there or further than that. Potentially the the football playoff, where they're gonna have uh, defenses and they're gonna have offenses that make it a more balanced game. And Petrus is really the factor, right? Yep. He he is. You know, we have Tyler Goodson, who's a top ten in, in the country running back. We think we have receivers who are capable, and we have tight ends. I mean. It's tight you of the last five years. So um, the offensive line who we, we get a starter back, uh, which is going to help us a lot in these next two games uh, develop that sort of c- congruency. But Petrus, he's not, um, he's not the best quarterback in the country. He's not even maybe in the top 20 or 30, but he is going to have to make three to five big time throws a game. That's what's going to give Iowa a chance to compete at that playoff level. Um, He's done, he's done it sort of in the first couple games, but luckily he hasn't had to, um, you know, if you look ahead on Iowa's schedule week six, we're going to potentially be in a top 10 matchup against Penn state could be a game day situation in Iowa city. And that will be a game where hopefully five games into the season, Petrus is to the point where he can make those three to five big time throws. He made one against Iowa state, the the touchdown to Charlie Jones, but he's going to have to make more, um, and I don't know if we'll see that until Penn State, Wisconsin, and then maybe the Big Ten Championship. So um, that's sort of where we're at. But if he can, the defense and the special teams, are they're all American. And so I think they could compete with an Alabama, Georgia, um, Cincinnati, anybody else up in that top eight. I really do.
1: Turnovers, we know what the deal is with turnovers. They they change games. I think it's like 76 or 78% of the time, if you win the turnover battle, you win the game. Kirk Ferentz and his career. 148 and 33 when Iowa wins the turnover battle. He wins 82% of the games. 22 and 73. That's 23% of the games that Kirk Ferentz wins when Iowa doesn't win the turnover battle. But of those stats, this is the most important. In Kirk Ferentz's career, he's won the turnover battle 66% of the time. So, right? I mean, if it's supposed to be well, he's it half the time, right? It's going right. well, I don't know. It's a coin flip. He, Iowa under Kirk Ferentz wins the turnover battle two thirds of the time. They win this turnover battle for nothing. They get 20 points off turnovers. Sometimes turnovers are luck, Tyler, right? We know that. And sometimes I think if you end up relying, generally, I think if you think you're going to rely on turnovers, it's like, well, okay, keep your fingers crossed. But I just thought when you see a guy make a play like Justin Jacobs made near the goal line. He is a six foot four, 236 pound linebacker who sheds the block of a six foot seven, 250 pound tight end. Brees Hall, who's one of the best running backs in the country, is just cutting off the tackle and headed outside for a gain. And this linebacker will not be blocked, gets his arm on the ball, knocks it free. Instead of a nice gain for Iowa State, it's a fumble return for a touchdown. That's not luck, Tyler. That's defense. That's want to. That's teaching and coaching about how to get off a block. That's great talent and skill by Justin Jacobs. I mean, it's that kind of play that says, all right, I think Iowa needs those plays to hang with the best players in the country. But
2: those are the kind of plays that Iowa makes on a regular basis. Yeah. Two things. I I couldn't be more happy that you brought up that play. If you watch back that film, there isn't a more fundamental sound football play than what Justin Jacobs did on that play. Um, Backed up in Iowa State's territory, it, It's textbook, football, and it's textbook, Iowa. Um, the NFL Scouts, when they would come to practice, they always used to talk about how they were so surprised that we we did so much work on tackling and how to handle that. and and they would go to other places and they wouldn't see as much fundamental work. And it's why Iowa's defense is the way it is. Um, but you mention a guy like Jacobs, usually Iowa's playing that sound defense with guys who are not quite as talented. Jacobs is an All-American coming out of high school. We actually are now playing this defense with both experience and talent, real talent, um, not just developed talent like I was known for. So we have a combination of both, and that's what makes this defense so scary is we have the athletes. Um, mm-hmm. You know, Jacobs is, is technically our our third linebacker, like he's our third best linebacker, third, most inexperienced behind Jack Campbell and Seth Benson. And then we play this weird cash position, sort of uh, safety linebacker combo with, with a guy named Dane Belton, who's a, a future NFL DB. Um, it's just, it's, it's really incredible what, what we have on this defense. And um, they're the kind of guys who are going to, they are going to go make those plays and we can rely on them for us we're going to be able to get two, three turnovers a game on defense. It's, can we limit those on offense? And actually it's one of the things that Petris has done great in this streak that I was had going back to last season is he, he hasn't thrown a pick. Um, and, and our, and our running backs don't really fumble the ball all too often. So um, the turnover battle, obviously huge. You mentioned it and the, the Hawks are, they're doing the right things in that area right now.
1: Tyler Kluver, one of the co-hosts of the Washed Up Walk-ons podcast. Again, Matt Hankins. Two picks in that game. And again, Purdy takes that shot to Xavier Hutchinson down the field early, figuring I'll throw up a 50-50 ball to the most dynamic receiver in the game. And Matt Hankins says, I'm winning this 50-50 ball. Again, that is not that is not an accident. And when I think about I mean, we think we all realize this, Tyler, this this Iowa team could be similar. To 2015, when Iowa got as close to the college football playoff as you can get without getting in, you're playing a play in game in the Big Ten championship, Michigan State versus Iowa. It's a coin toss. It could have gone either way. That was a 51-49, not score, but like it was either way. It feels like I mean, Iowa might be on a path like that, but then they very well may wind up playing. Either Iowa State with Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave or Penn State with Jahan Dotson and Parker Washington. They're going to get Penn State in the regular season here coming up. And they've got to handle those guys, Tyler. But when you see a guy like Hankins, when you see sort of maybe the, a, a raised talent level across the board for the Iowa defense, it makes that more possible, right? Not a guarantee, but it feels like it makes it more possible for Iowa to try to tamp down some high-scoring offenses, not make mistakes, and take their shots
2: yeah it's it's really really exciting as you look you know it's always been that right it's we're going to play better football more sound more team focused but we're not going to quite have the athletes that you do so it's a battle of can we outlast you before your guys go make plays because guys are going to make plays but now again we have the guys who are going to go make plays for us at least defensively and we play that sound uh you know, type of football. So for us, it's going to be about, um, it, Penn state's going to be a huge game. That's going to be a real teller, I think. And I think it'll be a close game regardless of who wins. Um, what's interesting is now that Ohio state has shown that, that they have some, some liabilities on the defensive side of the ball and their offense, I wouldn't say is, you know, they, they do have a Lave and, and the Williams kid, but I think they're not quite as as explosive as they have been in the past. Um, still very talented it's sort of leaving the door open on the East side of the big 10. Um, and I'm sure Penn state's sort of licking their chops. They're thinking the same thing. Uh, if, if Iowa sort of does what they should and, and what it looks like they're supposed to at this point, two games into the season and, and, and wins the West, um, it is going to be a heck of a matchup in the big 10 championship between them and either Ohio state or Penn state, assuming that they're the ones who get there. So, um, and I and I think it'll be a matchup that Iowa fans don't normally see. Again, it's gonna be a talent matchup, an explosive matchup, an exciting game, not like a 10-6 Wisconsin uh two yards in a cloud of dust sort of sort of matchup. So really exciting stuff for Iowa. Not something that not something that we get to talk about a lot. Um uh a Big Ten sort of championship potential team, but it, it comes around once every five or six years. I played on that 2015 team. It was it was a, it was, you know, it's like the bane of my existence. We were, they scored with like, I don't know, 50 seconds left to take the lead and that, that hurts. But I hope that guys that this year can revenge that and go and get us a big 10 championship. That's the goal.
1: Very cool. Tyler, thank you so much for taking time out of your day. This is a really interesting team to cover. We would encourage you guys listening to try the washed up walk-ons podcast with Tyler and his friends. Tyler, thanks for joining us. And if the Hawkeyes keep rolling, we'll try to have you back down the road.
2: Absolutely. Thank you guys for having me on.
1: Thanks to Tyler Kluver for that. Nice to have a long snapper on the show. Certainly knows his Hawkeyes. They're an interesting team. And now, Shahan, we have to place them in the rankings because this is part of it in that there's just less margin for error. Right. I do. I mean, what Tyler's saying, I think Ty- Iowa maybe is. A cut above what it has been in some other very good years in terms of talent. But again, you know, are are they Bama? But again, we can't also just play the Are They Bama game, or we would have a podcast that talks about one team. So we're going to put them in the mix here. We have 11 teams. No, 12 teams to rank with what we're doing now, having added Oregon and Penn State for now. We'll see if we kick one out later. Again, we are ranking teams like we're on the committee, whatever that means. Shahan, who
0: is your number 12? My number 12 is Notre Dame. Their week one win continues to look worse and worse, especially as Florida State looks like the same old Florida State. And they really should not have beaten Toledo. And when you're in those kind of conversations where you're playing close games against teams that are not very good, I mean, no disrespect to Toledo, they're a very well-coached team, but they're not the kind of team that a team like Notre Dame should be playing with. And so it's a two-week trend for me. Uh, They haven't played anybody of any quality, and they still haven't looked very good. To me, Notre Dame's number 12. It is hard with Notre Dame, man, because
1: on one hand, they've got some dudes, though. The defense is the problem right now. They do have some guys on offense. They worked in Tyler Buckner as a complimentary quarterback to Jack Cohn last week. Jack Cohn like dislocated his finger, pops it back in place, and throws the game-winning touchdown. Michael Mayer, their tight end, is a matchup nightmare. Nobody can cover him. They have a couple dynamic guys in the backfield, and Kevin Austin, that receiver, made a huge catch for them late in the game to help set up the game-winning touchdown. So Notre Dame's offense is like much better to me than what I expected. And the defense isn't stopping anybody, including Toledo. So for instance, like if we're ranking Iowa against Notre Dame, I do think Notre Dame is more dangerous offensively than Iowa is, but they're, they aren't a shadow defensively of what Iowa is doing. So the results for Notre Dame, nobody likes so far tight wins like that. But they have – the dude's intrigued. Now, they, they lost another left tackle early that game. They lost their first left tackle, freshman Blake, Blake Fisher, with a major injury. Mike Carmody starts. He has an issue. So, you know, they've got to get a lot figured out. I liked working in the big-time recruit at quarterback and a little bit of a wrinkle thing. I have them next to last. So I do not have them last. I have them 11th. Um, you have them 12th. The team that I have 12th is Iowa State. And I, think- and I just – you know – Brock Purdy, I thought was disappointing in that game that Spencer Petrus did. Spencer Petrus threw for like 110 yards, but Iowa State would have taken that, I think, from Brock Purdy because Spencer Petrus didn't make the mistakes. And I think Iowa State and Iowa are so similar. Tyler Goodson and Brees Hall are so similar. Iowa always has tight ends. Iowa State's Charlie Kohler is a great tight end. Like they both kind of play this kind of smothering style of defense and led by Spencer Petrus. Who just made enough throws? Didn't make any killer mistakes. He outperdied Purdy, and so uh, that that sort of I mean to to, to lose the turnover battle for nothing is really really disappointing in a game like that. So I I could not have them any higher than twelfth. Where'd you have Iowa State?
0: So I have them tenth. I I definitely understand. I think that they have through two weeks been pretty disappointing. I probably am just less concerned that they lost to an Iowa team that I think just could be really, really good. Mm -hmm. Like I kind of view it a little more like that. Now you have to take into account the Northern Iowa result, right? Like that does have to be a factor for me, but I still think that a lot of what I thought about Iowa state hasn't changed. I think their defense in some ways looks better than I imagined it was going to. They were destroying Iowa uh, on that side of the ball it has been their offense, and I have a little bit more faith that their offense is going to be a little better when they're not playing defenses quite like Iowa. So I still have them at 10th. Uh, I think that you could ha- make a very good argument for them to be 12th, but uh, but I think that I'm probably high enough on Iowa, and I have them high enough on this list that I'm not going to penalize them too, too much for Iowa kind of taking it to them.
1: All right, so who do you have 11 then, if you have Notre Dame 12 and Iowa State ten.
0: Yeah, Penn State eleven. Obviously, just entering our rankings at the beginning of the show. I I think that they still are, to some extent, a borderline team for me. Um, You know, Wisconsin didn't look great in week two either. I I think that I still need to see a little bit more from Penn State against a decent offense, or against a decent team offensively. Uh, They're a team that could jump really quickly. I think. Right, Because they play Auburn this up- upcoming week. They play Iowa in a couple weeks. They're going to have an opportunity, I think, to play their way into that top tier. Uh, but I still, you know, and, and some of this obviously has to be priors and what you thought about the team coming into the year and what you think they can do. Um, and I still think that Penn State has a lot in front of them, but I I would still have Iowa State in front of them.
1: I have Penn State eighth because I do think the playmakers, as I discussed earlier, I think are legit on both sides of the ball. And so I see a peak there. I see more there. And I, as with a lot of teams, it comes down to can the quarterback make enough plays without making gigantic mistakes? Sean Clifford has done that so far. I think there's still more upside for Penn State. I think there's more to discover there. They, I think, are a better combination of, hey, I believe in their defense more than I believe in Notre Dame's defense, but I think they have more game-breaking potential offensively than some of the other teams we talked about. Right. So we'll, we'll be very. I think uh, to your point, if they really handle their business with Auburn, I think we will reinforce some of the inklings we have, excuse me, about Penn state now, but I do, I'm getting verklempt. I'm so, I feel so happy <laughs> for James Franklin. I'm, oh, James, you did it. You did it, man.
0: Um, Penn state no, I, I, have, mean, I, I do feel like, right. Like I understand the idea that like, some of these teams have some dudes, right? Like having a Kyle Hamilton is great. Having a Michael Mayer is great. But like, I I think that for me, I, I just am looking at eleven man units, right? Like if I if I loved every single individual dude that I saw, right? Like we'd have LSU in here or we'd have Texas yeah. in here, and and at a certain point, it's about the sum of the parts, right? And I do th- I I think you're right. I think that Penn State on both sides of the ball has the ability to keep growing. I want to see them do it first before I say that they've done it. And so, um, you know, again, I I think that they probably should have lost that Wisconsin game, right? Like, I don't think that that was a super convincing victory. I I think that they just have, to me, I I think that they have to keep proving themselves, and I think that they will. And so I'm going to wait for them to do it.
1: Okay. Let's um, do my number 10, which is, I think, the most difficult team to try to evaluate right now. And that's Texas A&M. Sure, And you have to evaluate them without Haynes King. And evaluating them without Haynes King, their injured quarterback, who's going to be out for at least several weeks with a broken bone in his foot, means you have to evaluate them with Zach Calzada. And that is a wild ride, my friend. Oh, my God. I don't know if you guys have, you know, we'll take sponsors. We'll take more sponsors here. People don't do things. You guys got the YouTube TV? Anybody got the YouTube TV? I got YouTube TV. The YouTube TV, you just set a recording for a team for the whole year. It finds the team, where the game is being played, whatever channel. I'm old. I can't keep track of channels. You just set the recording. So I've got, you know, this this is like, oh, I guess I'm doing a show. I guess I better know stuff. So, you know, I just am recording every game for the 25 best teams in America every week. If you didn't do that, go find it. Go find the Texas A and M Colorado game. It is bonkers. It is absolutely bonkers. Calzada is like eighty five percent of the time you have no idea what he's doing, and then it's like, oh, a third down throw with a guy planting a helmet in his chest that he rips, you know, one yard past the sticks in a tiny window. Cool. He leads. They uh, Texas A and M beats Colorado 10-7. He leads like an unbelievably wild, loose yet clutch drive. To take the lead late in the game, he dives into the end zone. Everybody's celebrating. They take it back because he fumbles at the half-yard line on his way in, and he has to come back out and do it again. He has to re-lead a drive again to actually get the touchdown to win the game 10-7. Here's the other thing. H. Chain and Spiller in the backfield for Texas a and I liked every piece of Texas A&M in that game except the quarterback. Because in the end, they get the two running backs combined for Spillers, 14 touches, 76 yards, 8-chain, 12 touches, 74 yards. They ignored them for too long. The final game-winning drive that actually cashed in the touchdown, seven of the 11 plays or touches for those two guys. They still get after you defensively. They still have a good offensive line. They could have lost that game. They scored 10 points at Colorado. So how impressed can you be? Man, they were dragging a guy who just wasn't ready to do it yet. It's going to have to do it now at quarterback. I feel like if they, now that they know they're not going to have Haynes King, Shahan, I would like to see the backfield touches for those two dudes. They had twenty six touch, touches combined in in the Colorado game. They should have at least forty combined screen pra- passes, swing passes, inside run, outside run. Those guys are dynamic. It's it, it, they've got to figure it out, Shahan. They got work to do, but they got a week to do it. I still there's a lot of pieces of AM I still like, but because of the quarterback, I couldn't put them any higher than tenth. Wild game! Please go watch the game. You don't think you want to watch a 10-7 game? I guarantee that you do.
0: Yeah, I mean, maybe try to watch like a cut-up of the game. You can usually find those sort of things on YouTube. <laughs> I don't know if you want to dedicate three and a half hours oh, You've got to gotta it. see the misses too. You've got to see the miss, miss, a, yeah, huge the, play. The, the, the cut ups would have not just a highlight one. Like there's like a okay. the sort of 19-minute uh, you know, play to play to play ones. Yeah, I mean, so after the game, I, I think it was Jimbo Fisher said that. A bunch of defensive players just kept coming up to Zach Calzada and were just like just get one we got you just 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 get in the end zone once like that's all we need from you don't worry we we got you we believe in you sort of thing right and like I think actually it's a I think it is legitimately a huge credit to how AM's team responded around Calzada yeah they never got down and they really like were always so positive with him right like they were like don't worry we got you like it, it never falters right? And if they lose the game, maybe maybe that turns. But, like, you know, credit to them for, for just that. I don't think that, that makes me feel a whole lot better about them. But, uh, but you know, credit to them for that. Uh, I had them at nine. Uh, again, the, the only difference is that you switched out Penn State in front of them, and I did not. Uh, I'm, I'm concerned. I'm concerned. I'm concerned. I didn't think that Haynes King looked especially great in the first place. And for them to go to Calzada now, I mean, it, it's just been a real issue he, the thing that people said about him coming into high school is that he has a great arm. He has great mechanics. He stands in the pocket and throws. You don't know where that throw is going to go. Right. And like that's still an issue in year three for him, which I think is concerning. And the other thing, too, that you say about them is that they don't have a scholarship backup quarterback at all. Their current backup quarterback is Blake Boss, who's a walk on uh, because they, brought in a top 250 recruit this past year at quarterback and immediately moved him to tight end because they didn't like what he could do at quarterback. So I imagine that they think about bringing him back now because that's a really precarious place to be. But yeah, I mean, I don't know. It's I don't know what to think about this Texas a m team. The defense looks awesome, but like the fact that you have to get into that kind of dogfight against Colorado, a team that I think is pretty good, but is certainly not great, especially not in the trenches. I, I don't know what to do with that information, so I have them nine. Wildcat, Wildcat, run the Wildcat. I want like 10
1: direct snaps each for Spiller and A-Chain. They're so dynamic. Man, they're good. And is it uh, Widermeyer, the tight end? Am I saying his name right? Dynamic, like three absolutely game-changing dynamic dudes if you can just find a way to get them the ball a little bit and then lean on this defense. There is such a difference between Putting in your backup quarterback in the middle of a game and planning—I know I have to play my backup quarterback. Now that goes both ways; the opponents get to plan for it too. But but if Jimbo and his dudes on the—they've st- got to earn their money this week because this team is too talented. I get it; quarterback's important. This team is too talented to be waylaid by this. Listen, teams have to play their backup quarterback sometime. That's how it works. So they have got to find a way because man, the other twenty-one starters they put out there on both sides of the ball. Whoo, They can hang with anybody, man. And as you said, it's not like Haynes King was being Spencer Rattler. So, like, they don't have to have the best quarterback in the country. They've got to get Calzada to a place where he he can make a few more simple throws, and I think they'll be okay. I've got him 10th. You've got him 9th. My number nine is Ohio State. And this is real defensive issues, schematically, Talent-wise, again, this is one of those things, lots of times when you talk about Ohio State, it's like, wow, they've got more talent. I mean, when you look at Penn State's defense and Iowa State's defense and Iowa's defense and a lot of these teams, you wouldn't look at Ohio State's defense and say they definitely have more talent. And then they also have some fundamental breakdowns, some scheme issues. They let a guy up the middle through one hole, cracks off a 77-yard run because the linebacker followed the tight end in motion and the safety's offset on a hash and there's nobody there to make a tackle – the guy didn't even have to break a tackle. He just ran 77 yards through the middle of the defense. That's fundamental stuff. C.J. Stroud was certainly solid, but he can't save him yet. They have real things to figure out. This was not a fluke, right? This was that Oregon more with Oregon's talent and their scheme showed Ohio State's flaws that are going to follow them until they fix them now again they get Tulsa Akron Maryland Rutgers kind of stuff coming up they're not going to be tested for a while they have the Indiana Penn State double dip in about four or five weeks that's when we'll find out but there's legitimate stuff here Shahan that they've got to get fixed
0: yeah I have them at eight uh, they're, they're next on my list I still think that I mean yeah they, they have playmakers that I think anybody else in the country would beg for uh, I, I still think that they have a lot of upside because of that and I think a lot of this is going to come down to CJ Stroud making those throws consistently. And I think that's going to happen. I am not really that concerned about that defensively. I think you're right. I mean, losing Josh Proctor is just another hit to a defense that already was not very good. Uh, The one thing that you say about the big 10 is there's not a ton of teams that are going to take advantage of that. right? Right? Like, I mean, I don't think that there's a ton of teams that are going to just go over the top, but yeah, maybe Penn state can, right? Like that's, that's something I think you have to be concerned about. And so they're still eight for me. I, I don't think that many teams in the Big Ten are going to be able to keep up with them. Now, if let, let's just say hypothetically we get to the end of the year and they're in a playoff situation, and let's say that the that things haven't gotten a lot better on both sides of the ball, like they could get things could get bad for them against some of these better teams in the country, against an Alabama, against a Georgia. I, I don't think that the way that this team exists right now is anywhere near good enough. But I do think that there's enough reason to think that things can turn around. That I still have them eight.
1: Three elite receivers, but the three elite receivers all played awesome against Oregon, and it still wasn't enough. That's, that's right. a concerning thing. It's not like, oh, they shut down the receivers, so if we can just get those guys going, we'll be okay. It's like, those guys went off, and so you need something else. So that's where Ohio State is. So we have the same bottom five teams in a slightly different order, but Penn State, Ohio State, Texas A&M, Notre Dame, Iowa State, they're a bottom five. That means we have seven above them. I think there's a little bit of a line here. I don't know if this is where you would draw a line. I would. I have Clemson 7. Where do you have Clemson?
0: I have Clemson 7 as well.
1: So I thought, listen, right? I mean, teams played some big games in week one, lesser opponents in week two. I was curious about the Clemson run game. Lynn J. Dixon's in the doghouse. He's the veteran guy that sat behind Travis Etienne. Dabo Sweeney said that this week. Like, he's got to take care of his business. He barely played, but you can see the young running backs coming. And we talked about that in the preseason when are some of these teams going to get to these young running backs? Ohio State already did it. Master Teague, is, who was the veteran last year, no longer in the rotation. They went to second-year Mayan Williams and first-year Travian Henderson last week. Same with Clemson. Kobe Pace, Will Shipley combined 15 carries, 148 yards, three touchdowns last week. Week one, the Clemson running backs all together, nine carries, 24 yards. Now, that's the Georgia defense. That's also like the offensive line not getting it done, but also what is up with the running backs I thought that was a necessary step. Yes, a lot of attention was on DJ in, in week one against Georgia, maybe not being dynamic and looking like a young quarterback. But if you can't run it, I mean, you can't put it all on the second-year quarterback. I thought Shipley and Pace showing something that they get to that, that mattered for Clemson. But I still think enough of the issues from week one remain that there's still seven for me.
0: Yeah, yeah, I mean, I agree with all that. I, I think that the other thing that's, concerning is that there's not going to be many opportunities for them to prove themselves. Uh, I mean, if there really is another one all year long, maybe North Carolina or Virginia Tech in the ACC title game. Um, You know, I I think that all their issues are solvable with players that are on their roster. The one exception maybe would be the interior offensive line. I'm a little concerned still long-term about that. Uh, But yeah, I mean, this team is not, as good as last year. I mean, obviously they're not as good as last year's team, but I think that they're noticeably worse in a couple of different areas and not just at quarterback, obviously where they go from Trevor Lawrence to DJ. And yeah, I mean, I I just feel like there's not much to say about them. I'm in wait and see mode until they kind of prove that they can run the ball consistently, until they prove that they can block consistently, until they prove that they have uh, running backs that can also get out into the field and catch passes as well. So it's just a waiting game right now for me. and I don't think anything's changed. It's going to be hard to get a read on them
1: for a while because we know what the issues are and then how are we going to know that they're fixed similar spot for Ohio State all right who do you have six Shahan?
0: I have Cincinnati six so they have looked pretty good through their first two games they did struggle a little in the first half against an FCS opponent this week I'm not that concerned about it I think that's just sometimes something that happens because they ended up winning 42 to 7 um you know I, I think that when I look at these top five teams in front of them without getting into them four of them have either a ranked win or multiple ranked wins. Uh, You know, and and so I think that Cincinnati right now is a little bit in the like, they haven't proven anything, but they haven't disappointed by any means either. So I'm kind of just using that no data as enough of a data point.
1: I think that's fair. I think that makes a lot of sense. We are also at the point of here we go. Now, again, as we mentioned on the podcast on Tuesday, their expected chances to impress don't quite look as impressive because Indiana got blown off the field by Iowa. They get Indiana this week at Indiana at noon, then a bye week for Cincinnati, then at Notre Dame. And again, Notre Dame has had its issues. I, I would expect right now, it's one of these things, Jahan, I would pick Cincinnati to win both those games at the moment. Yeah. But then the question is, yeah. well, how impressive would it be if they win both those games? But I do think... Playmaker wise, I'm going to keep leaning because it's like, that's how it gets get you over the top to me in equal talent games. Desmond Ritter still doing it. Jerome Ford at running back, still a dude, right? Still showing it. Like I think everything against, yes, they struggled for a little bit, but then I think they showed who they are. They got to it. It reconfirmed what we think about that offense. They have it on the defensive side of the ball too. So you have Cincinnati six. I have Cincinnati five. Yeah. Which means I have Iowa six. I'm assuming you have Iowa five. I do not. Oh, stop the presses. Okay, so that's our Cincinnati discussion. I have Iowa 6. We've already talked a lot about Iowa. And although we are trying to corner the Des Moines market, (laughs) you know, there's a great big college football world out there. Where do you have Iowa and why do you have them as
0: high as you do? So I'm approaching this like I'm the committee, right? I'm approaching this like we're in the room, like I'm evaluating resumes, and Oklahoma's a really nice team, and I think that Oklahoma will end up in front of the guys that I have in front of them. I mean, I, I think them to be the number two overall seed in my national champion, but beating Tulane by five and beating Western Carolina, that's that's not doing it for me when you've got another team in Iowa that has a top 10 win and a top 15 win. So I have Oklahoma five and I have Iowa four.
1: I get it. I get it. And, it, and if it's based on that... Um you know i would i would not argue with that again it's like we're in the room but even i'm a big resume guy in the room i would be a huge resume guy in the room but there's a part of me that is still would still be like you don't think Spencer Rattler would have maybe thrown for more than 115 yards against Iowa State now this is an Iowa State team that i picked to beat Oklahoma at some point this year and it's it's, it's it is very confusing but I think I think it's the lens you choose there, and I'm in agreement with all of that. We're still waiting and seeing on Oklahoma, right? I mean, Oregon and Oklahoma were very similar in week one. Oregon got its let-me-show-you-what-we've-got chance right away in week two and showed it. Oklahoma didn't really get that chance yet. You know, they did what they were supposed to do. They show, again, a couple – Hazelwood, Eric Gray, a couple of the playmakers popping. They're showing a little bit of what they're supposed to show. Spencer Rattler – didn't make mistakes. Right. But again, it was against a team that had no chance to hang with them. So I, go ahead.
0: yeah, I, I just consider the bottom five to be teams that I've been disappointed by relative to expectations. And I think that Cincinnati and Oklahoma are in a middle tier where they just have no data at this point. And then to me, the top four have all proven something to this point.
1: I think that's fair. So I have Iowa six, you have Iowa four, I have Cincinnati five, you have Cincinnati six, I have Oklahoma four, you have Oklahoma five. Who's your three?
0: My three is Oregon. Uh, I did not think by any means coming into this year that I would have Oregon anywhere near my top four. And I still am probably a little skeptical that they're going to be right there at the end of the year. But they did the thing. They walked into Columbus and came out with a victory that was honestly more dominant than the score. They they showed that they can win in different phases of the game, even without two of their best players and Justin Flo and On Thibodeau. Uh, Their offense looks in a really good place. I mean, I, I can't remember the last time that, uh, that Oregon had one of these running backs like CJ Verdell. I mean, it's, it's been like since Royce Freeman and stuff like that, since they've really had a guy like that. Um, you know, I, I just thought it was a very complete performance. I thought that Anthony Brown did everything that was asked of him. And, and this is, this is why Joe Moorhead was one of the highly thought of up and coming coaches in college football when he was at Penn state. Cause he just finds unique ways to get guys the ball. And it's funny not, not to compare it to the bottom the list, but it's like with Texas a and you mentioned, it, you know that you can give the ball to your running backs in different ways, right? You don't just have to hand it to them and run inside zone. And I think that that's one thing that Jim Moorhead does so well is like, I mean, I, I don't remember what the number was, but there were like six or seven guys who had two or three catches, right? Like they just spread it out so much. And I think that that was really what they needed to do against that Ohio State secondary. And so just, when it comes to offense, when it comes to defense, when it comes, they've played well on special teams. When it comes to coaching, I think they've been coordinated on both sides very well to this point. So, I mean, this is through two weeks; they have been incredibly impressive.
1: Anthony Brown throwing the ball down the field still is not real scary to me, but they had a conversion against Ohio State on the third and eleven, where they just hit a little swing pass to the running back out of the backfield, and the Ohio State linebacker in coverage just froze for a second and was late to get out to it. And it was like, that was the easiest 11 yard conversion on third and 11 on like a nothing right. throw that I've ever seen, but it's execution. It's scheme, right? Anthony Brown takes the guy he's supposed to take Joe Moorhead gets the matchup that he wants. And then CJ Verdell is more, more dynamic as a running back than I realized. And so downfield passing game, not super scary, but two good backs. Brown can give you a little something in the run game to really good schemer on the offensive side of the ball. And then a defense that we have not seen the ceiling anywhere close to the ceiling of the defense yet. Now, Justin Flo is going to be out for a while. Mario Cristobal said that Kayvon Thibodeau, we don't know when he'll be back, but he's going to be back at some point, And then he's going to change games. And so they've done this so far. We he's played four series and the four series that he played, Oregon had two turnovers and two, forced two punts. And then they've done all the rest of this without him. So that is quite a thing to have in your holster to be viewed as a top four team in the country. And be like, just wait till our best player gets back. And that's where Oregon is right now. I also have them three. And now we get to our debate that I think maybe we're going to have for a bit longer here, the next several weeks. Unless one of us changed our minds. Last week I had Georgia one, you had Bama one. Who do you have one and two this week, Shahan?
0: Yeah, I definitely gave more thought to putting Georgia at one. But I'm still sticking with Alabama at one and Georgia at two. Uh Look, I mean, their receivers looked a whole lot better playing against, uh, you know, an FCS squad than they did the week before. And so maybe it is just, hey, man, Clemson has a really good secondary and they can kind of they can kind of make things hell for you. Uh, I, I think that I probably am open to that possibility. We won't figure out necessarily super soon because I believe that Georgia gets Vanderbilt this week. I'm blowing up their schedule right now. And that's or uh, no, they get South Carolina even worse or comparably worse.
1: They get South Carolina. Just a, just a blindside shot at South Carolina, just out of the blue. I, Vanderbilt I've, wants to drop sports. They're right on the – every year it's like, is Vanderbilt going to have an athletic department next year? And you're like, they're better than South Carolina. I
0: hope that we don't have any South Carolina listeners because I have a lot of mean things to say about <laughs> South Carolina. But they get South Carolina, then Vanderbilt, and then they finally play Arkansas, who is number 20. I, I don't think I buy that. But, you know, that, that will be a first real test, I think. But, I mean – in some ways, we won't really know the answer to all of this until they play Florida on October 30th, right? Like, I don't think that we'll really get to solve these questions. I think it can move up before that. I'm not saying that they can't do that. But, um, but you know, I don't think that we're going to get these questions really dealt with. And maybe, maybe Kentucky. Kentucky's a good defense, at least. But for me, it's still Alabama 1, Georgia 2, because I feel like I've seen the completeness of, of Alabama to this point, and I don't think that I've seen a full team – performance against a good opponent by georgia
1: so you can see georgia coming a little bit though right brock bowers yes. true freshman tight end is is leads them in reception so far he's an, he's another california guy that got away and got the and is making plays right now but they're going to come along they're going to start getting some of their playmakers back they had to play their backup quarterback last week but jt daniels will be back at some point you know kylie ringo really skilled defensive player had a pick um is a guy who's kind of working up to what he can be. There's still just an upside left with Georgia. They're big guys in the middle of their defensive line. Jalen Carter and Jordan Davis and some other guys in there just get after you. Man, With they're just way over 300 pounds, really tall dudes. I mean, it's like, it's like offensive tackles chasing quarterbacks down. So you still have an upside to Georgia. But Bama's a team I want to talk about here for a second because I am fascinated by the next month for Bama because I feel like we are going to find out a lot about Bama in the next month. They get Florida this week. Florida is going to play two quarterbacks and Emory Jones and Anthony Richardson. Emory Jones has played like 120 snaps so far and Anthony Richardson's played like 35, but Anthony Richardson, man, he looks like an offensive tackle playing quarterback, run it, throw it deep, really dynamic and a different kind of guy. A lot of people want him to start this week. He pulled his hamstring last week on a touchdown run. Dan Mullen early this week said, like, he seems like he's fine. He's coming along. Maybe they don't start him, but I think they'll play both. And to me, this is a situation where quarterback uncertainty will help Florida and hurt Bama. It's going to hurt Bama's preparation. And Anthony, when you think about what beats Bama, it's like, well, it better start with a dude at quarterback. Anthony Richardson looks like that guy to me. Does he not look like that guy? Like, Like, I don't know exactly what he is, but I don't think I'd want to try to stop him. And that is almost scarier, I think, for Bama than an established guy. There's not much film on this guy other than like 80-yard bomb, 80-yard touchdown run. Oh, my God, he's as big as an offensive lineman and he can sling it. I Nick Saban has got to be up late into the night trying to design a game plan for him. But then also they're going to have Emery Jones, who's kind of like a much smoother version of that. I know a no, big-time recruit as well. I am very intrigued by what this two-man quarterback system could mean for a, a really skilled, but y- you know, relatively speaking, more inexperienced Alabama
0: defense this week. I'm fascinated by this matchup. I do have to take a second to apologize. I said, G- I said that Georgia played an SCS team. They played two-time Conference USA champ, UAB. I don't want to... I- I apologize. That was that was a, a misstatement. But to Anthony Richardson, uh, one of the people in, on my team at CVS is a is a Florida guy, and he is so pissed that Emory Jones is still playing football for Florida. He is so pissed that Anthony Richardson's not the guy. Yet. Now, Dan Mellon talked about after the game, like, the reason that Anthony Richardson's not starting is because he's still trying to learn how to do the, like, basic offense things right right like he's still learning how to make the right read he's still learning to to see the check down and the fact that he's this good without kind of knowing how to run the offenses yet that's pretty scary right for Florida long term you know they, they really have something there I am very curious to see how Dan Mullen deploys them I, I do think it's going to be a good first test for Alabama because yeah I mean I think that that Miami was still looks like kind of a, a middling type team. They get Florida on October 2nd. They get Ole Miss on October 9th. They get Texas AM. Like, that's that's the month. Show me,
1: show me a contender that has a month like that because you're going to go from Anthony Richardson. Then two weeks later, you're going to go to Matt Corral, who is like having you know, if 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 I had a lot of Sam Howell stock early in the year, I might need to (laughs) shift it to Matt. This is an NFL quarterback in a Lane Kiffin offense. It is yes. an, it's a very different challenge for an Alabama defense than Anthony Richardson, but it is as as difficult a challenge in a, in a totally different way. And I'm yes. really intrigued by Old Miss. Again, are you super impressed by the Louisville win? Maybe not, but they have some guys. I want to yes. watch. I want to dig in more on Old Miss, and then they're going to get the Texas A&M. And yes. again, if they had Haynes King, that would be more of a difference, but Jimbo's got a month to get that offense figured out before they get Nick Saban. And Texas A&M, as we we talked about before the year, has enough guys who are going to be equal talent to the Alabama guys. They're not going to be scared. DeMarvin Leal is not scared of of Alabama, right? I mean, like, they've got guys defensively, they have offensive linemen, they have the, the skill guys in the backfield. When I think about, like, Anthony Richardson, Matt Corral, Devin A. Chain, Isaiah Spiller, DeMarvin Leal kind of stuff, that is legit stuff for Bama, and we listen, if Bama gets through that undefeated, then I'll have them number one. But to me, if, if, and, and, and the thing is, I don't even think that Alabama has to have a crack. They don't have to be showing any weakness to have trouble in this stretch, yes. because I'm telling you, man, if, if Ohio state was playing those three t- teams the next month, I'm not sure Ohio state wouldn't lose two of those games. I'm not sure Clemson wouldn't lose two of those games. I'm not sure Oklahoma would get through that stretch undefeated. Like, Alabama has the best chance of anybody, but that is a real, because it's all so different to me, Shahan, the different challenges you've got to get ready, but you can see dudes. Those are all SEC teams with interesting dudes that you don't see every week. And that's, that is real, man. I am really excited for this next month of Alabama football. And I will, I mean, if Bryce Young and, and Will Anderson and all these guys get through it. Man, all the credit in the world. But if I had to guess right now, Shahan, I think they lose. I don't know where, which is basically I was at the beginning of the year. I don't know if I can pin it down where the loss is. But those are three real challenges to me. And it might be like you escape Florida, then you kind of have an easier game. And then Matt Corral throws for four hundred and fifty, and you couldn't do it. And then you take it out on Texas A&M or whatever, how it looks, man. It just feels like there's a real chance of that in my mind. Do you feel like there's a, of course, Bama's Bama, but do you feel like there's a real chance of that?
0: I I think that there's a chance. And the other thing that I'll mention too, is that we mentioned three of those next four games are against ranked opponents right now. Really good teams, uh, two teams that are right on the edge of the top 10. Uh, You you know, there's going to be some real challenges. I mean, this, the SEC West last year was pretty down. It, it was not a good division outside of Alabama and Texas A&M. You know, this year, I'm not buying Auburn personally, I, but, like, they're a legit top 30, top 35 team. Arkansas is ranked right now. LSU, I think, is still a borderline ranked team. Like, this is a tough division right now. And I think that there are more opportunities. Because last year, last year it was like, if Alabama doesn't lose to Texas A&M, they're not losing. Right, like it's just not going to happen. I think that there are more opportunities for Alabama to get pushed, and, and actually, Ole Miss last year, who wasn't a great team, did push them. Right, I mean, we had the the clipboard in the air game from Lane Kiffin, right? And, and so, I do think that they're going to have a lot ready for for Alabama. I do wish, I do wish that Ole Miss game, if they were going to win that game, I, I would want it to be at Ole Miss. That game's going to be in Tuscaloosa, that's going to make it tough. But to play three games. In four weeks like that, in such short order, on top of playing Mississippi State, who has a really good defense, even if their offense is struggling right now, that's four really tough games in five weeks. So it'll be really interesting if they get through this stretch. I think they can cement themselves as the number one team.
1: So Shahan still has Bama number one, Georgia two, Oregon three. I have Georgia one, Bama two, Oregon three. Shahan, Oklahoma four, uh, o- Iowa 4, Oklahoma 5, Cincinnati 6. I have Oklahoma 4, Cincinnati 5, Iowa 6. Let's go to our texters. They had Alabama 1. Again, if you want to be part of this, get the rank stuff, kick teams out, 817-442-6789. If you've been thinking about it and you haven't pulled the trigger yet, we'd love to have you. It's only a buck a month after the free trial. Texters, Bama 1, Georgia 2, Oklahoma 3. That's higher than either of us had them. Oregon 4, Iowa 4 five respect for Iowa Cincinnati six Texas A and m seven Clemson eight Ohio State nine Notre Dame 10 Iowa State 11 I did not give them Penn State as an option because I wasn't sure we'd be ranking Penn State so nothing too dissimilar there Shahan
0: pretty similar for sure
1: which then leads us to booting time who's not gonna make it to the end of this show we'll do it next on the college football playoff show all right, Shahan, I gave the Texters three teams to think about uh, booting out. And, you know, oh, I gave them four, actually. Because I gave him Texas A&M because it was such a weird game. But I gave them Iowa State, Ohio State, Notre Dame, and Texas A&M. If you had to guess, Shahan, who do you think won the vote to get booted
0: by the Texters? I think that their vote was probably easy, and I'm assuming that they went with Iowa State. 63% for the Cyclones.
1: Notre Dame, 25%. Ohio State, 10%. We still got a lot, of, a lot of Ohio listeners here. Texas A&M, 1%. So I'll take that as a vote to kick out Iowa State. That's who the texters chose. Who would you kick out, Shahan?
0: So I mentioned it, right? They were my number 12 team. I am not impressed by Notre Dame. I, I don't think that they've been very good through the first two weeks. I don't think, I think that their lone loss, which was in overtime, is looking worse and worse. Uh, I understand why Iowa State is probably going to be the vote. I, I don't think that's unfair. Uh, but, you know, I, I think for me, it's getting taken to the wire by two FBS average teams, not even like average top 25, like FBS average teams, teams in the 60 to 70 range, uh, getting taken to the limit by two of those teams is just very concerning to me. Um, And and so for that reason, I I just don't think that Notre Dame belongs in this conversation.
1: So you vote to kick out Notre Dame. The Texas vote to kick out Iowa State. So I will break the tie here. And I am saying farewell to one of my playoff teams. (laughs) The Iowa State Cyclones, you saw how they have to win and they couldn't win that way. I thought Brock Purdy needed to be a lot better. Spencer Petris, for as few yards as he threw for, did what Iowa State needed Brock Purdy to do, which is take care of the ball, right? Let the defense win the game. tough spot, but Brees Hall to fumble there. Man, just like on a... And as much as it was like a great play to get off the block and make the tackle, it wasn't like the guy went in and stripped the ball. He just kind of got his arm in there, and Iowa State's best player fumbled, and it turns into six for Iowa. I mean, to lose the turnover battle four to nothing, even if you lose the turnover battle two nothing... I think you've still got a shot here, but now in terms of like getting to the playoff, they're road, they gotta be perfect. They've got to beat Oklahoma twice now. So I'm okay. Like not spending a lot of time discussing Iowa state until they at least beat Oklahoma the first time, because they're out of a, they have no margin for error from a playoff conversation. They could still win the big 12. Right. But I mean, they're going to, they have to win out. They're not getting in with two losses. So it's like, all right, Iowa state, you've lost your game but now I don't need to talk about you until I get a better feeling that you're going to keep winning you LV this week. Then it's Baylor, then Kansas, then a bye week then Kansas state, then Oklahoma state, then West Virginia, then Texas in November, then Texas tech. Then finally the Oklahoma game, November 20th. Like I just, right. That's not, I don't if they lost. I don't need to be talking about Iowa State, Oklahoma State in the middle of October. That doesn't feel like a game that matters for the playoffs. So from the standpoint of like using our breath to talk about real playoff contenders, listen, if Notre Dame gets it together, they're right there. Then go beat Cincinnati. This is almost reversed before it was like, hey, Cincinnati has a chance to show people and beat Notre Dame. At this point, Notre Dame has, has a chance to show people by beating Cincinnati. Cincinnati is the better football team right now, but I'm going to boot Ohio. Uh, excuse me, that was a Freudian slip. <laughs> boot. Uh, listen, they're they're next. They're next. They better look good against Tulsa. The Buckeyes <laughs> might be next. Iowa State, you're out. So we are back down to eleven teams. No more Iowa State Cyclones, but that's officially put Notre Dame on alert. If they don't get it together. They could be out before they even get to the Cincinnati game, Sean.
0: Yeah, yeah, no question about it. And listen, the tough thing for Iowa State, right, is like like you mentioned, they were one of your playoff teams, and that scenario is already dead. Uh, yes. But you know, the the other thing that's tough about them, you mentioned their schedule; they're not going to play a team that uh, that can maybe get them back into the conversation until November twentieth. That's right. the earliest that they can re-enter the conversation. So. We talked about it all leading into last week, how big a game this was for both of these teams and for both these conferences, too. So, uh, you know, that's the penalty. That's the result. You'll you lose the game, and especially. I, I mean, if this game was really close, if this was the 1918 game from two years ago, maybe we don't kick either out. But to kind of get it taken to you when you only give up 170 yards, not ideal Iowa State. Uh, we trusted you and you let us down. Yeah, especially me. I'm not mad, though. I'm just disappointed.
1: You know, like
0: it's, but, but like,
1: you've got to play perfect. And they didn't play, they didn't play close no, to perfect. No. Right. That's the thing. Some of the, some of the shots and, and, and I, you know, even like the, the deep ball interception to Hutchinson, which doesn't kill you. Cause it's kind of like a punt, but it's like, is that the, is that the play you need to be making there? You know, like that's um, I just think that they did not make winning plays and Iowa made winning plays. And guess what? You make winning plays, you win games. All right. That's it for this edition of the college football playoff show. Thanks to our guy, Tyler, for hanging out. Make sure you catch him on the Washed Up Walk-Ons podcast talking about Iowa football. And the good news for Iowa State is last time we kicked the team out, they had a top five win and got right back in. So hope for the Cyclones. Welcome back to Oregon. Welcome to Penn State. Goodbye to Iowa State for now. Thanks to you guys for listening. Text subscription, 817-442-6789. Would love to have you. And I'll drop this. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to hold off. I'm just... Right at the end, I'm just saying it. Right at the end, I do have a book that dropped on Tuesday called "The mm. Road to Ohio State," It's a book about recruiting tales about Ohio State Buckeyes. If you'd be so inclined, to, you know, find it on Amazon or maybe in a bookstore or whatever. So, that's out. Look at that. I'm so I'm I'm like I'm a psycho about it. I don't even want to leave my house because I'm worried <laughs> that someone's going to walk up to me and said, "On page 181, you missed a the so." Uh, never write a book shahan no 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 that's not that's not the advice i should give to any young journalist uh be better than me when you write one no that's not a thing i should say when i'm trying to sell my book shahan is great and so is my book maybe all right for shahan jahiraja i'm doug Maurice, and that is the college football playoff
2: show